Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, good evening, actually. Thank you for joining us on Turning a Moment into a Movement. I am Jay Love, and I represent the Justice for Gerard Moment. Gerard is my son who was wrongfully convicted of a crime he didn't do, innocent and in prison. Uh, I just want you guys to know that a wrongful conviction can happen to anyone at any time. There is no um, nothing, no qualifications, nothing. You you can anyone can be wrongfully convicted for something they didn't do. So we come here on um, Friday evenings to talk about injustice, wrongful convictions, and you know other things, uh, community responsibilities and accountabilities, and. Um, our goal is to educate, inspire, and to just motivate having these conversations to um, maybe um, help someone or just to initiate change. So thank you for joining us. We uh, greatly appreciate you. If you need to contact me, you can reach me at turning a moment into a movement at gmail.com. That's turning a moment into a movement at gmail.com. So I want to introduce the panel, but it looks like they're um, running late today. So we're going to bring in Reverend Tia. Hi, Reverend Tia. Well, good afternoon. I was trying to make sure my mic was on. How are you doing, Jay Love? I'm so excited to be Hi. here tonight. And um, believe you me, it is a cause I don't even want to say worth fighting for anymore because I really don't believe we're in a fight as right. much as we are revealing what has already been on the inside of us. I think it's a, a time of awareness and awakening. And um, and I'm so glad that turning a moment into a movement is helping people to awaken to the possibilities that we have within our own communities to grow and to change, to make changes. So I am um, Reverend Tia Littlejohn, and I'm in the community doing what I can on many fronts. Um, I am the founder of The Choice Zone, helping people get in their own zone, create their own opportunities, understand their own purpose. And I do that individually and for collective organizations. So I'm so glad, um, so glad to be here. The time is now. And because we are entering the election season, yes, we we can make some changes. Exactly, we can make some changes. And also, uh, Reverend Tia, um, Monday is the fifty-fourth anniversary of um, Dr. King's death, mm -hmm. and so this is a timely um, time to have this conversation because we are, you know what we've been going through for quite some time now, you know, we're protesting and we're standing yeah. up for the wrongfully incarcerated and for uh, the, for those who are incarcerated as well. And, yeah. and then, and, and for, you know, us just standing up for our rights period. And so these conversations are necessary. Yeah. And you know what, Jay, we got to ask ourselves how much, how much has been done in 54 years yeah and are we awake 
Are we asleep? Are we okay with everything? And it really today is more of a, um, it's a time for humanity, for the love of humanity to begin to speak out, to, to demonstrate what humanity really looks like and, um, and not be inhumane. Yeah. Um, because if, if anybody is suffering, we're all suffering. I think we have not maximized the nation is suffering. The whole entire nation is suffering Mm -hmm. because we have not optimized communities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ravatia. Thank you. I see attorney, attorney Hugo Mack. Greetings. Much love, much love, much love, J-Love. My leader, oh, I love my leader, I love my leader. You are <laughs> such a personality with Sam Riddle. I mean, he needs you like three times a week, not just one time a week. You just compliment him so well. Hello, love to you. <laughs> I tell you, go back. Tell everybody who you are and what it is that you do. Gladly, gladly. Uh, Hugo J. Mack, uh, criminal defense attorney born and bred but also former candidate for Washtenaw County prosecuting attorney, because we need people in those offices that know all sides of it, can understand the inhumanity that the system will level against people. A lot of whom are a disturbing percentage of whom are either not guilty or overcharged, not Mm -hmm. guilty or overcharged, you know? So my position has always been, unless you have the experience to know what it's like on that other side, you really can't say you're a minister of justice because you don't have a full picture. It's like watching the movie Gone with the Wind and only seeing a 10 second excerpt. You can't draw no opinion on that. You know, you can't draw no reading opinion on that. So um, as I tell you so many times, I I love being on here, J-Love. I tell people all the time, if you find yourself on Trouble Street, about to be told, bring your car to Mac Street and park it. <laughs> HMacLaw.com is your hookup. HMacLaw.com is your hookup. HMacLaw.com is your hookup. So I'm here, J Love. I'm in it to win it with uh, my brothers and sisters in the struggle. Uh, mass incarceration has got to go. We are not safer. We are not safer. Police must be held accountable. And please, Black people, stop just giving your votes away. Please, please hold these people accountable when they come into our neighborhood, when some of them parachute into our neighborhood, I might add, parachute. You know, some of the people running for office, they couldn't find our neighborhood without MapQuest, okay? <laughs> so so, so, right. so, please hold people accountable. And, you know, and, and I want to say I'm encouraged the anti-lynching law finally went into effect. You know, fourth federal legislation, 4,000 black lives later, it actually went into effect. So, you know, we do have some victories, J. Love and Reverend Tia, you know, and so it's enough just to just to keep us going. So I'm excited about it because this issue about voting, I get so tired of debating our people who say I ain't going to vote. Uh, if somebody want me to vote for them, Barack Obama got one man to tell me Barack Obama got to come to his house and ask him for his vote. I said, really, brother? Really? Really? Wow. Wow. Hey, the man who's running against him won't come to your neighborhood. He won't come to your neighborhood. 
Okay. And the last man that was in office, don't get within 100 yards of him or you're going to get your skull cracked. That's the truth. That's the truth. You better not be carrying no protest sign around that man. And he tell people, go ahead, crack some black heads. I'll pay all your legal bills. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean no, to go wrong, no. but I love you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that you're here, Attorney Higoman. I know I was listening. You know, you mentioned the anti-lynching bill. And I was listening to someone. They said they've been trying to do that for over 100 years. 100 years. So, yeah. yeah, anywho, um, <laughs> hi, Allie. Hey, how y'all doing? Great. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. Introduce yourself and, and tell everyone who you are. Yes, I am Alexandria. I am a community activist, also work in the um, behavioral health industry. Um, and I'm really excited to be here today. I've just discussing this issue because, you know, I feel we're at a point where it's not just time to vote off of how somebody looks, uh, what, uh, you know, identity they come as. It's time to vote uh, for people that have the compassion to do the right thing um, and has the courage to agitate with intentions to see the changes we want to see. Um, so, um, yeah, definitely looking forward to this discussion. All right, all right, all right. Allie, you got a new job um, or a new yeah. appointment. Uh, yeah, new appointment. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, I'm now on the um, Oakland County Prosecutor's first ever uh, racial justice uh, board. So, um, yeah, there's, there's uh, me and um, believe, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the number, but um, at least 10 others. Um, you know, um, some that look like me, um, you know, identity-wise, some don't. Um, there's a mental health uh, subcommittee, violence prevention subcommittee, also a, a reentry um, and um, reentry and expungement, uh, and then um, I believe there's a couple others. Um, but yeah, so I'm on, I'm on the uh, mental health subcommittee and um, the reentry uh, subcommittee. So I'm. Really excited to see what this is gonna be. It's it's never been done, so that that's like a good feeling because it's not like, oh, this is already here and you're just coming to do it again. And you know how some people get comfortable and it's I've been there. So right. there's nothing set up. So I'm like, I get to like set expectations and yes. so I, I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's huge for Oakland County. Oof. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I have to you know give credit to um, Karen McDonald because to create that, to create a hate crime unit, to create uh, integrity um, convictions unit, you have Michigan State doing research now um, on racial disparities in Oakland County um, because of the prosecutor and, and the police. Like that, none of that existed prior. The previous prosecutor didn't care about any of that and they were around years, 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 years. So. She definitely, yeah, and got a couple other activists in there too on the racial justice board. <laughs> so, so she cool. definitely been listening like Michigan Liberation. I remember talking to her previous to all this. I remember other people talking to her. So, that's the kind of stuff we need. We can get this kind of stuff happening, you know. So right. it, it feels like a win. I will say that. Yeah, it sounds like a win. 
It does. And you know what? I just want to say that we need the numbers. We need to the research. We have to prove the necessity, which is terrible that we have to, but nothing will be done unless we do that. Absolutely. And I'm glad that she was open. I mean, she's doing all of this all at one time. She, um, she the integrity unit, you know, the, the uh, racial bias unit that you're doing, like all at one time, she's not waiting around. So I think that's pretty awesome of her. She's yeah. taking an aggressive stance out there in Oakland County because Oakland County, yeah, some, of those, some of those cities out there were sundown cities a lot. Uh, still are so yeah and i'm like for a prosecutor to take that stance it's a big deal <laughs> it's the prosecutor um, right so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to what all this is going to be i'm my eyes is wide and i got a big smile right now uh because <laughs> <laughs> that is it's such a big deal um i have to shout out uh um some of y'all might know him might not know him booker t um, was really instrumental in pushing for me to get on um, to get on the racial justice board. All uh, right. So, yeah. Yay! Well, I'm. I know you're gonna be doing some big things out there in Oakland County. I can't wait. <laughs> so today we're gonna talk about the black vote matters, and I put a question mark, like you know, and and Mike, for me. Um, when I wrote this, I when I was thinking about it, um, the black vote matters. Do it even matter to us? And so it is a conversation that is needed because um, a lot of us think when we're talking about voting, we're talking about a 24, I mean, you know, a one day process where we go vote and it's over. But really, it's a 24-7 type of situation where we always have to be aware of what's going on in our communities and our surrounding areas, like um, especially in our communities, because what goes on in our communities affects our lives. And the people who represent us in our community affects our daily life, like the mayor and the police chief and the prosecutor and the state rep, like all of these people affect you personally. And I don't know if we really, the judges, we really, you know, pay attention to what's really going on or do we, or are we really paying attention? So uh, I'm going to bring on our guests. Hi, Gwen. Hi, Jayla, Tia, Attorney Mack, and Alexandria. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining us. Would you introduce yourself and tell everyone what it is that you do? So, my name again is Gwendolyn Winston, and I am the co-executive director of the Wisdom Institute. And the Institute is a grassroots nonprofit organization, and we focus on African-American womanhood and girlhood. Um, we promote gender equity, healing justice. We talk about revolutionary love and we think voting is revolutionary love and accountability in life and leadership so that all girls and women know power. So we talk about power. Uh, and, and some of the things that we advocate for is womb consciousness, 
we advocate for reproductive freedom. We advocate for the right to have a, a lawyer when you're being evicted or displaced. Uh, we advocate for water affordability. Uh, we advocate for voter protection and voter education. And all of that which we advocate is so tied to, uh, to the vote. So that's why we pay attention to voting and education. Our folks, our people, we want our people to be educated because we are bamboozled all of the time, um, every election. And um, so what we say is, don't you see, don't you see? And we don't. And so how, how, how do we change that? How do we impact our community? So we're, we're, in, a, we're in a search. We're in a deep search. And what we know is that the time to act is always. <laughs> exactly. Always. Yes. Always. So um, I'm just going to ask you, uh, Alexandria, I'm going to start with you. Do the black folk matter? It does matter. Um, it matters a whole lot. Uh, when we use our power, we see the change in the difference it made. Um, we saw that 2020 um, in Detroit, uh, waiting on those, you know, ballots to be all counted and everything. We know the demographic out there and, and who's in the metro area, right? We know. Um, and we saw the change it made in Michigan, making it where Michigan went blue and it, Michigan's a swing state. And we know how hard it is to get to swing blue <laughs> uh, with all those other areas in Michigan. <laughs> um, and we saw the difference it made. We also saw that in Georgia. That was all black people who made Georgia blue. That was the Atlanta area, which is majorly black. And, and we did that. Um, so it matters a whole lot. We have a whole lot of power and we can do so many things with it. Tony Hugo, Matt? Well, I think the sad reality of it is, is that we as a people have become comfortably numb. <laughs> and does it matter? To a lot of black folks, no, it really doesn't. And I'll tell you why. We have become so Americanized. We Black people are the greatest Americans in the history of America. You know, I heard a man named Malcolm X say one time when he talked about the field Negroes and the house Negroes, and he talked about the field Negroes caught hell. You know, they, they wanted change, radical change. But the house Negroes were comfortably numb because they got to eat the master's food and wear some of his clothes and stay in the house. Or if they had a shed or a shack, they had wood on the floor of their shack while the field Negroes had dirt. And what I'm saying to you is, is that when I look at the misrepresentation of the actual state of black people in this country and how we've actually accepted that things really aren't all that bad for us, then it makes me think that we really don't think it's important because we see multi-million dollar sports athletes living in mansions. They seem to be doing good. We see actors supposed to be renowned, be able to go up a black man and slap another black man with 14 million people looking on and people cheer and applaud that. We see the realities 
of actors and other personalities who seem to embrace multi-million dollar corporations, McDonald's, uh, Ford's, or uh, Sunoco, all right? Uh, Kevin Hart making uh, announcements and commercials for Chase, one of the most virulent and racist banking institutions in the world. You may or may not remember about five years ago, Wells Fargo was sued by the government because of giving out information about people and people having their accounts uh, messed up and, and pirated, okay? But yet we've got black people celebrities that are the shields in front people tom joiner i'll go on steve harvey list after list after list all right and so what i'm saying is the mojo that's been run on black people is the greatest mojo i've ever seen in my life because we are so bombarded with these conflicting messages with these conflicting images that says well really things really aren't so bad so that's why we only have a 17% turnout in, in the city of Detroit. Detroit, the biggest, blackest, poorest city in the country, in the country. And we can't get more than 17%? 17%? Are you kidding me to come out and vote? So, you know, when, when, when I say does it matter, yes, it matters. But the problem is it doesn't matter enough to us. Put it that way. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter enough to us. Mm -hmm. Ramtia. And you know what I was going to say was that the the problem is the divide. And, and I think as Americans, we need to look at the history of division that happens in not only in America, all over the world, but where did it start and how are people divided? I mean, you can look as far as the Hootsies and the Tootsies. You can look all over the country in how larger communities or empowered communities empowered by military or guns and uh they use they use the division they use it so that one can be more important than the other that's the that's the trick of it all can i make one important more important than the other and they believe it and then we treat ourselves in the same way, because we're following whatever narrative is out there, whatever the narrative of the day is, whether, it, uh, I mean, just check it out, whatever it is, whether it's in your clothing or whether, just, just look back how many times that people go through different fashions based upon whatever the end thing was on what they saw on television or in the media. And so, People are following whatever the narrative of the day is, even as recent as the Oscars and the slap and all of that. Copycats all day long, all on, on the media. Everybody's joking. Everybody has their opinion. And yet all these opinions on all that other stuff. And that did not affect our community. We're not making decisions about our community. We're not commenting on what's important for our community. And it's because if they can keep us divided, not just as a community, but even with individualism and making it think as long as I got mine, I'm good. That's the issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we've not heard about this slap since Sunday. Um, 
it's just been it has over overshadowed the gas prices <laughs> uh the food shortage D did anybody get that the, there's going to be a food sh there is a food shortage like all these things that's really going on in our lives that slap distracted us you know <laughs> we're talking about everything else but i mean we're talking about that slap more than we're talking about anything else like right we have right. so much going on in our own on our own blocks yes that that slap should mean nothing to us but yeah, we haven't even i know i haven't gotten a call from will smith or jada in a long time not ever <laughs> and so i think we need to look at who is really in our community can we get to humanity I'm so over it. <laughs> I was over that slap the, the Monday morning because, you know, everybody has their opinion on even to the point where men are telling women, I'm attorney Hugo man, but uh, men are telling women how to feel yeah. about their looks, about their hair, about like, come on. Yeah. But yeah. We, we have... Um, um black people are the most incarcerated the numbers are there mm -hmm. black women mm -hmm. are are their numbers are very impactful mm -hmm. they're even higher and we're having these useless conversations and that's why we have to ask ourselves does it matter does our vote matter because we're so you know in the wind about everything but the right thing i don't know With that's right gwen I envision voting in a in a, in a way that I, I want to be able to tie uh, the act of voting with decolonization. Mm. I we don't talk about it enough. We don't talk about decolonizing, um, and and I and I think that that's why we aren't aware that we haven't awakened. We we're not woke. Because we don't hear that conversation, and I think that voting and elections they, they create the space where we can talk about our state of being in North America and uh, around the world that we are connected around the world. We don't talk about how black folk are emulated around the world, folk want to know what we're doing, and we end up being unseen. Not voting means that we're unseen, we're unheard, our dignity is disregarded. It's disregarded since 1619, since the Middle Passage. We know that. Um, what is it that we're, what, and, and, and this society has captured us, colonized us, and we haven't broken through with the, with the, with the language, with the intent, with the, with the, uh, purposefulness of of the foreverness of decolonizing right voting is about power we don't talk about power i worked for the detroit city council for about 17 years back in the day power black power never reached the table <laughs> was not discussed and so if we don't have people who understand who will stand up for us, 
who will stand up for people who are poor. This is a war, this is a war against poor folk. Mm-hmm. Color. And stand up and know we are vulnerable. They know our vulnerability. We know our vulnerability because we know our history. And we continue to make the same choices over and over again. So we could use the voting cycle as the time to talk about intentional choices to be made. Yes. Talk about new strategies. It's the same game. Every election is theater. We don't even treat it like theater. Yeah, we should call it theater, what it is. Theater. Yeah, it is theater. And so, yes, just a minute. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, sister. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. And, and it's, you know what, it, you know, I heard, I heard you talk about the, the people in the media, we're making choices based on uh, actors and celebrities. And it's going to it's going to take ordinary people. It's going to take ordinary people to work work it out. And we got to stop pretending that we're ignorant. <laughs> right. We got to stop that. We are yeah. not ignorant people. I'd like to say one thing about black men. Okay. Uh, I think I've earned the right to talk about black men. <laughs> okay. Um, sure. More black men voted for Donald Trump in this last election than they voted for him with uh, against Hillary Clinton. More Latino men, what we call Hispanic men, voted for Donald Trump this second time than they did when he was running against Hillary Clinton. And 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 part of the problem with my gender is that somehow we have uh, bought in so much to the narrative of that macho, let's keep them down, you know, we're in this together, when we're in nothing together but hell, okay, you know, and, and we're the only ones in hell. So, and so when I look at some of the virulent debates I've had with, with other black men, all right, around this issue of voting almost to the point one guy act like he wanted to fight me you know seriously you know about this issue of voting and about you know we got to stand up in america this country got to be respected you know i i, I tell you I, I i tell you i i'm sorry malcolm was right there are the field negroes and house negroes still today yes there are yes there are and and the part that is so disheartening to me is that you've got the field negroes who really, even are in the field, aspire to be the House Negroes, you see? And they, they aspire. So even though they're in the field with me, they got the same wood and, and dirt floor shack as me <laughs> because they got one or two more potatoes in their pot than I do. They're better than me, and they've got to be the one. See, it's bad enough the House Negroes keeping me down, okay? That's bad enough. Nat Turner never would have been caught if the House Negroes hadn't turned him in. He never would have been caught. Okay, so it's bad enough with that, but with this classism that we have amongst ourselves, okay, poor as as rocks, but as long as my floor has got a piece of wood and your floor ain't got nothing but dirt, I'm better than you, and not only am I going to think myself better than you, I'm going to act better than you, and I'm going to help enforce being better than you. 
If I see the police crack your head, well, you shouldn't have been doing that. You shouldn't have been doing wrong. If I see you going to prison, don't do the crimes. You can't do the time. All right. You see what I'm saying? If something happened to your woman out on the street, well, she had no business with her fast tail out there in the first place. You see, all those sorts of things that I encounter, it is, I got to be honest, it is not the white man saying it to me. It is not. It's my own people saying it to me, my own community where I live. So, you know, that's what I'm saying about black men. Not all of us, but far too many of us have bought into that narrative about this is the macho thing to do. This is the man thing to do. And I'm going to do it. You wouldn't dare go to go to uh, 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 Gross Point Woods or Sterling Heights or in place and do that. But you, you come to where I live in Ipsy and do it. You come to Southside Ipsy and do it. Yeah, I agree. You know, you know, Attorney Mac, it's um, it is the the it's a fallacy for us to compete with one another. And the other the big thing is that what is the definition of success? See, we have to redefine what success really looks like and do not allow someone else to give you the definition of success. Don't allow this world to give you the definition of wealth because you can have all the money in the world and be a miserable person. You can have all the money in the world and, and still treat people wrong. And that's not prosperity to me. So it's up here because then if you know, if you have your own definition of success, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. At some point we can rewrite our ethics. Where's our standards? Mm -hmm. You know, not long ago I looked at, I asked children at school. I said, well, what are you doing for the weekend? And most of the children asked boys and they said, Oh, Miss T, I'm going to be home. I'm going to be playing video games all weekend. I don't I don't ever have to stop. I said, you'll be on playing video games and watching. Uh, I think it's I forgot what of one of the other things that they do. But it's to me, it's just wasted time. And very few people said, well, Miss T, when I get home, I got to study my own language. And then I have to do more math. That's the difference. And I remember my son telling me, Joshua said, Mama, you teach us so much after school. Why don't you just homeschool us? You know, you always have that. You always have that smart child there. (laughs) But I realized that a lot of the education I needed to give them at home. I needed to enrich their life at home. And we need to enrich our communities in our community. And we need to redevelop success and wealth and ethics guidelines in our community. Let's be different for a reason. I I often wonder, so how do we do that? You know, earlier you talked about it's so important to know the statistics the the stats and the reports you know i i only count up the number one i don't need to know any more statistics one death one lynching one um and 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 so we have all of this information we know that our our communities our people are being destroyed we know that 
we got all the statistics in the world. De Detroit has been fighting maternal and child infant child mortality for more than 30 years, trillions in our health department in a black city with the most multicultural public health system that existed in the country one time. Yet, our babies were still dying and not living for a year. What is that? And, and I'm baffled uh, because I'm working on voter education. And I'm, I question some of our volunteers ask, so how do we, why aren't people voting? And no one has the answer, right? Uh, we know collectively that we don't go to the polls. We haven't been to, in, like you said, Attorney Mack, in more than 25 years. We haven't been to the polls it's over 17 percent in 25 years. So when I was doing this research for this, um, our conversation today, I found out that um, Hispanics voted at a, a way larger number than black people and that our vote has been declining since 1995 or 96 or something like that so yeah. something i think the um communic sorry jay i think the communication too there was a time when collective communication you know um there was information way before the 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 world wide web and we communicated face to face they told us this is what this candidate is doing and this is what we're going to do. And the candidates were in the community and they had all of the candidates that were collected. The candidates were collectively coming together on agendas that affected us in the community. What are we doing today? Well, well we, we have been raised, acculturated, we have been, uh, our thought systems and belief systems have been uh, not ours, you know, and uh, we are still looking for charismatic others. Mm. Uh, we're still looking for charismatic others and not understanding the power within. One of the, one of the things I'm hearing is like, mm -hmm. oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, Oh, you could. Uh, one of the one of the things I was hearing is like, how do we measure or how do we fix it? Like um, the how success should look. And one thing we can't do is base our success on whiteness, and um, that is the standard um, that was set um, when America was founded, um, and when the Constitution and everything was created. Um, it starts there, making sure subconsciously you're not doing that because everything from the um, SAT test um, and how you score on that being that measured based on, <coughs> um, it starts with that. Um, and then we can start to see, you know, the pendulum of justice swing in our direction um, when, once we're measuring it the right way. Um, and, and to me, that will lead to people turning out voting. That'll lead to so many of these other issues being solved we what is successful is what is authentic to ourselves and and whiteness isn't authentic to us um yeah so it goes back to the decolonization again piece that gwen was talking about 
because if you're so, I say program, but if you're so embedded into um, the way that um, the norms of white America, then you you you're beat down, I guess, and you question everything that everyone else is trying to say. You because it's against the narrative that you have um, grown to believe in. So it comes back to the decolonization. It's letting go all those things that you've been taught that that's working against you, even even in school, even you know in your within your family dynamics, all those traditions and habits and rituals. It, it's time to like question those things because why? why is it that you don't have the urgency to make your communities better because they're not going to come and say hey we need to tear down all these houses and build new houses for you right <laughs> nobody's going to come and say hey we're going to come on your we see you guys have all these potholes even though they ran on we're going to fix the damn roads but <laughs> they're not going to come on in your neighborhood and say oh wow this whole stretch is going to take you making a demand having to ask and making a demand and if you're just like okay with breaking your tire rides every other week and having a flat tire nobody's going to come and say hey that's enough flat tires for you you know it's it's going to be up to you and so if you just you know, depending on somebody to come save you, then hey, they're not coming. Oh, they're not coming. They're not coming. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> so, so, can I, can, can go ahead, I, go back. <laughs> can I say this? I mentioned this at, on another uh, podcast. In 1933, a man by the name of Dr. Carter G. Woodson wrote a book titled The Miseducation of the Negro. And and that's that that's what 90 years ago what have you okay and what was true that dr woodson discovered then and said then is true now he said the negro is not being educated he's being indoctrinated mm -hmm. and that, that's that is true now and the way that we continue that indoctrination is we continue to perpetuate that same system we continue to think other people's ice is colder, their water is wetter. All right, there's something distrustful about us. And let me get let me get real personal here. Okay, you know, I'm proud of what God has enabled me to do. Uh, anything I've done has been through the grace of God and Jesus Christ. I've told you all before. Some of the people that I've been in in law practice with, you know, they say, "Well, I went to so and so school. I graduated." cum laude. I went to so-and-so school. I graduated magna cum laude. I told y'all before, I went to University of Toledo in 1979, graduated thank you laude. So I'm not <laughs> concerned or bothered by, any, by anything else. What I'm saying is we have gotten so indoctrinated and we refuse to accept the reality that is in front of us. And like I said, as long as we see somebody dribbling that basketball down the court, our black men are thinking, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to run that football. I'm going to do this. And we, we, we just are so bombarded. And like, and like the sister said, it's going to take us in our community to stand up. And, and, but but I'm going to tell you this. The problem is we got a whole bunch of backstabbers within our, within our group. 
We really do. That would be willing to put us down for standing up and saying something, you know, and they've got their supporters, um, not all, but Caucasian supporters that will fund them, you know. Um, I ran for county prosecutor, all right, because we needed a change. But most of the objection to my candidacy was not from people that don't look like me. Most of the objection to my candidacy was people in my own community. How dare you run for prosecutor? You've been to the penitentiary. How dare you run for prosecutor? You know, you're not uh, qualified like these other people out here running. You ought to be ashamed of yourself for being in the penitentiary. See, and these are the people who will come running to Al Sharpton, the Urban League, Jesse Jackson, when they son get cracked upside the head by one of these police officers. See, these be the first ones, but yet when it comes to trying to look at me and acknowledge my humanity, you're in with the other folks. So not only are they pro providing the shovel for you to bury me, they give you the dirt and patting you on the back while you're doing it. Mm. Well, go ahead, Reverend Tia. Yeah, you know, I was, I, oh my goodness, I was ready to jump in on this because I appreciate Gwendolyn. Uh, I have known her, look, a long time now um, because of my mom and she's always been the social justice and healing justice initiatives on the forefront. And I appreciate that about you, Gwendolyn. Um, I've learned so much because of you through the years. And um, one thing that JF Clay, when he just commented not long ago, and he said, uh, what are the benefits for blacks? Jobs are gone. The hood neighbors are in competition with one another because the neighborhoods no longer exist. And, you know, I want to key in on that because Gwendolyn has been on the forefront on many issues. I'm going to tell you one thing that um, has been affecting our communities, and that is the, the housing, the rents, the rent, the housing um, issue. People are losing their homes, especially through the pandemic. And even though there was supposed to be um, initiatives out here through the government to assist people, unless you were a part of it. Some people don't realize what was actually happening and how many people were actually used, losing their homes. I'm going to tell you something, even people who got on Sarah for assistance, that's how I come I appreciate what you've been doing. Do you know some of those companies who own properties went back and charged those same people who may have had and been affected by COVID. They still charge them legal fees during their time of getting assistance. You know, uh, I hear so much because I'm engaged in, you know, in this system and racial equity and all of that. So I say they're pretty little words on paper, not actualized. Right. Um, you know, I want, uh, the Wisdom Institute is working on um, a lexicon. We're creating a womanist lexicon. We can make it up. We have the freedom to do so. And I'm just so amazed that my people have not yet understood the power of language. And we are language masters. And it is the narrative, it is the lexicon that we can change, that ordinary people can change. Um, for instance, 
we always hear about systemic racism. I say it's systemic whiteness that's ruining systems because people are in those systems. And we, we, we have this ambiguous term about racism. No one can really figure it out. But we sure can figure out whiteness. And we must begin to create language and a narrative and a lexicon. Stop using those terms, racism, supremacy. It's just making them supremacy. We it's used all of the time. We're giving it life. We've got to figure out another way. We've got to figure out some other ways to say these things. We're not hearing it. We're not listening. We're not hearing it. I get that. You say white supremacy, and that supremacy means supreme. So you're giving life to the whole thing. You're right. Go ahead, uh, Alexandria. I, I did not really have anything to say. I was <laughs> I was just over here feeling that, and, and that was a mic drop moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> Attorney Matt. For once, I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Not you, Attorney Matt. <laughs> I know this is a this is a, this. Oh, oh, but but you know what? I got now that I said I got something else to y'all. April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> Don't y'all you know, never consider me speechless. Never. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> you know, one of the things I talking about changing language, you know, narrative. <laughs> one of the one of the things I said about, you know, a proposal P and all of that that happened with proposal P and the dark money. What I say to people, so what we should tell people from now on when we're considering voting anything, say don't be proposal peed on. <laughs> <laughs> What we understand, <laughs> but that's right. what I'm talking about the lexicon, the narrative, right? Yeah, new ways and uh, 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 radical imagination of speaking. And oh my god, like you making me think more now because there's so many things like the people that they call the system broken. It never worked. You know, the Louisiana penitentiary used to be a a plantation, like, and it's just a print like. It never worked. <laughs> so why are you saying the broken system, the broken system, and it's caught on? And yes. quite frankly, it never worked. So why are we carrying on with that narrative and allowing it to continue existing? Like, yeah, radical change in our language. Yes, because those words we say we it programs us. And then and so <laughs> we get like defeated because we're saying these words and we we feel like we lost our power. Like, how I can't be white supremacy. Right. Yeah. I can't. The system is broken. Who's gonna? You know, all of that. I feel that. Go ahead, Tony Matt. Well, and then the, I like that. Don't don't be proposal peed on. I like that. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and see, and see, I, two things actually about what uh, Sister Gwendolyn said. Now, this is what I'm talking about: the conflicting messages that we have. And I'm going to use that as an example, okay? They have a prominent uh, minister, uh, a pastor in, uh, in, uh, in Detroit, you know? He's got a, got a center named after him, and one of his kids is, is in, uh, uh, I, think, I think she's a chairman of, of the Detroit City, uh, the present Detroit City Council, 
if, if my memory serves me right, okay? Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is, was one of the main figures out there stating this proposal thing is not going to work, all right? And so that that money came in and it was and, and it was pushed down. But yet that same person, and I must admit, I've been to some of the programs in the morning that he had. It's got like uh, job opportunity fairs, a COVID testing, uh, uh, going to have the Detroit Police Department or, or the Sheriff Department there uh, either this week or next week with uh, a job fair to try to get more mm-hmm. Black people uh, into the Sheriff's Department and what have you. So we've got those real competing figures where these people have become like civil rights icons with us and with the, with the conflicting messages, and I'm, I'm wondering if there's money behind some of this, by the way, that continues to keep us divided. It really, really, really does. It keeps us divided because this particular man I'm talking about is well-renowned and, and respected, you know? As a matter of fact, a family of renowned, respected individuals. So um, that's the mojo that has consistently worked on us, you know? And I'm so disappointed about Proposal P. You know, it would have done a lot of a lot of great things, but boy, they they buried that thing like 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 they had a steamroller, you know, and and destroyed that whole that whole proposal. So what we know is that community cannot take root in divided life. We know that, and so all our narratives, you know, when I when I was listening to you all talk about the slap i was like i heard it once and then i didn't hear it anymore because it just had no relevancy mm-hmm. and so when we take that into our cells into our uh, our beingness we're living it mm-hmm. we're helping it to live and how many of us say don't talk to, don't don't say nothing to me about that like you did <laughs> like you just did not enough of us be quiet, you know, we won't speak. And so there is something that it is, I, I was in a program once and heard just briefly, it was a racial equity uh, laboratory. And uh, there are uh, theories on equity and race and whatever. And they mentioned the theory of thought system and belief system. And that just, that just said to me, that's what it is. And they never talked about it again. I kept raising, where, what, where can I read this? What is this? Speak to us about, they never, the, the people who ran that program never engaged in dialogue about uh, making changes in terms of our thought systems and our belief systems. And I think that that's where we have just neglected. Mm-hmm. We have been neglectful by not carrying that narrative. And I want to carry that narrative in the language that we speak, in our narrative. We can do that. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, I, I think that, um, and, and again, they have studies for that. Just like Gwendolyn said, um, and there's a study, I, I remember the lady's first name who's on TED Talk, and she, it was Aaliyah is the first name. I can't remember the last name, but Long story short, it was demonstrating just that, that whatever the focus of, the focus of the person, they did a test and they had them to drink uh, a health drink. And 
they said that the health drink was going to um, help them lose weight and everything, and they would take on that health drink. Well, they did that. And then for another group, they made the health drink into a Sunday and made it seem like they were putting on all these pounds and in actuality or, you know, gaining weight, going to be sluggish. And that's exactly what happened. But in essence, they both groups drank the same thing. It's according to our expectation. So what are we expecting in our communities? We do have power, but how are we giving our power away? Who are we giving our power to? What narrative are we giving our power to? And, you know, that's why I appreciate Gwen's work in the community because she's really looking at the narratives and how are we speaking? What are we speaking to ourselves? What are we speaking into our community? I was, I was like uh, astonished to discover that there are 357,000 women of voting age living in the city of Detroit. That's more votes than the mayor got, that's more votes than the congressperson got, more votes than the state senator got, more votes than the city council member got, school board, county commissioner. 357,000 mm. voting age. And, and see, we don't talk about numbers, and we don't talk about voting as a numbers piece, the power of numbers. And voting is also giving power to people to have say-so about money. We don't talk about that enough. There are some circles that do, but we can use our language to talk about it. You know, we could talk about that. Right. We can yeah. draw. We can draw the picture through our words, through our art, through our music, through our, our culture. And well, I'm if, could I could I say something? Uh huh. Um. Along the line of what Good Sister was uh, is talking about there, you know, and generalizations are often dangerous. But at sixty-seven years of age, I don't care no more. I'm gonna say what I feel. Okay, <laughs> uh, you know, black people tend to be very emotionally driven. You know, I heard I heard one man refer to black people as as a, as as like a herd animal. You know, wildebeest, emotionally driven. Okay, now I I won't say that about us. But what I'm saying is. We tend to be in America very emotionally driven. And I'm going to tell you an example of that. When we saw police dogs being sicked on people on TV, when we saw fire hoses being turned on people, when we saw people being beaten, women, women being drugged in the street to put in paddy wagons, when we saw state troopers on horseback run over people on Edmund Pettus Bridge, okay, okay, in, in Alabama, okay, we saw something visual that made us rise up emotionally and say that that's wrong. When Barack Obama ran for president, we saw something visual that made a lot of us rise up and say, this is something emotional I want, I want to be a, a part of. But the problem with that is, is that when they can take the emotion away from us, I don't think we got a bunch of staying power. I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't, because it's proven time and time and time again with these off-year elections, these presidential elections. I know the voting number is lower than presidential election nationwide, but why is it so abysmally lower amongst us? Abysmally lower amongst us. And see, 
part of the problem that I have with mass incarceration is that people do not realize that the 13th Amendment did not end slavery. It did not. What the 13th Amendment said, slavery is outlawed unless it is a result of a due process or conviction of crime and punishment. Please, 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 and I know I'm preaching to the choir, read that 13th Amendment again very, very carefully. So the problem that I see as an attorney dealing with my people is that we don't view incarceration as a form of slavery. We mm -hmm. don't view it that way, but that is exactly what it is. Okay, and I'm not saying there are some people who don't deserve to be there. Don't don't get me wrong, but it is taking you away from your family, away from your job. It's limiting your economic access. It's certainly destroying your voting access. You can't vote in jail or, or prison once you've been sentenced. Okay, and it is dehumanizing to you when you have a system where you have a pandemic like COVID and people who are doing maybe five, ten years, or whatever, of a prison sentence are dying in a penitentiary. That is a death sentence, whether you want to admit it or not. So what I'm saying to you is the problem that I encounter with dealing with black people, particularly black men, we don't realize that it could be your son, your daughter, your brother, somebody in a system of slavery. Because if they did away with the 13th Amendment brought back slavery, I bet you black people would be involved in, we'd be involved in, but mm -hmm. you see, just don't understand the nuance of what's happening to us, you know? And so that's part of my fight, Jay Love and, and members of the panel, dealing with other black men, because black men gotta step, step up. We do, we do. We gotta step up and be the men in our community and be the fathers and husbands that we're supposed to be, you know? Well, Attorney Hickelmack, you know, you, um, when just, um, I think it was today or yesterday came out that, this gentleman was wrongfully incarcerated in Detroit, uh, Wayne County. I guess he was um, exonerated a couple of years ago, last year or the year before, because a police officer felt like, um, who is retired now, he, um, Southwest Detroit, so he, uh, whatever the dealings was, the cartel was threatening him to kill his, his family or whatever. And so he felt more comfortable with putting an innocent black man in prison than, you know, going about the business of the job that he elected to do. So when we when we talk about this, for me, having gone through it or whatever, I feel the outrage. Like, where is the outrage? Like, how is how is that even a decision? And when they say that uh, Dana Nessel, you know, looked over and decided not to charge, or this man is not going to even face any charges for this. This is, again, these people that we are voting for, they're saying that it's okay to put black bodies in prison to save your own life. And so when we don't sit, when we sit back and we don't get engaged, when we don't when we say, you know, when you talk about wrongful convictions and the first thing, we're, well, how you know? And um, they had to do something. And all those those narratives, things that people say, Black people mainly say, these stories are coming out every day, one, two, three times a day, of a day of an innocent person going to prison. 
and doing time. 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40, 50 years. We should be outraged. But we're, we're talking about other crazy things that means nothing, that's not going to do anything to bring any value into your life. And, and you know, it, I think I think this goes along with what Gwendolyn was talking about with uh, the language. Um, maybe we should stop saying prison. Maybe we need to say slavery. Yeah. You know, maybe there, there's, we need to really start saying what is it really. Right. And I know the conversation with our other brothers and sisters who may not look like us may be uncomfortable but it needs to be a con we need to start having the conversation because it's right. slavery for them too it is that's right it's still slavery that's right it's still slavery and i think what attorney mack when he read that when he stated what the amendment really is and i'm gonna go back and listen to this again and write it up <laughs> because it's the language and if they, we need to deal with the truth, the reality of everything and stop making it seem flowery. And just like Wendell was saying, our language has been such that we are almost educated to do that, to make it seem nice, not so harsh, mm -hmm. you know, but this is harsh. This has been harsh to us for over 400 years. We need to stop making it seem like we're going, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not. It's not okay anymore. We give it a cute name, correctional facility, when nothing is being corrected. Right. <laughs> Queen, you're muted. Nothing's being corrected. And actually, the action is to make sure nothing is being corrected. Exactly. So everything is being removed. So you are not to be a full whole human person. I, and I and when when I think about and I think about us being emotional, and I think that we can use our emotions to our advantage. Uh, I I always have this great uh, uh, thinking about um, precinct delegates. Right, they're elected every two years, and the precinct delegates are representative of the party. Mm -hmm. There are no Republican precinct delegates in Detroit. And the precinct delegates uh, in Detroit, I wonder if, uh, I just believe in building uh, electoral power. That's one place we could start. Uh, we could start uh, increasing our numbers to see it's our, it's our, it's our, barometers our measure of whether or not we are able to bring more people to vote for precinct delegate and i would tell people they're voting for wakanda because <laughs> we love that movie mm -hmm. <laughs> and we love what it looked like for us our people we loved our strength and our power and our military might so why don't we talk about voting as if we're creating Wakanda for us. You know, just that's, it will catch the ordinary people. Mm -hmm. So we have to, we have to catch our, we have to get our people's attention. And so we can use emotion that we know moves us. 
So I figured that for my in my vision, I see all the black people would run for the Republican precinct delegate, and therefore they would have a voice in the Republican Party. <laughs> they could be the tea party. I I mean, you know, it could be our training. It could be our training for our young people on the systems. We can start there. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's a radical imagination, kind yeah. of. Right, 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 right. And precinct delegates' positions are uh, vacant, and as the system is now, uh, the, the party operatives just tell them what to do, <laughs> and they do what they're told to do. What if we had the radical in as precinct delegates? Mm-hmm. The party. I mean, it just seems like. And people pay no attention to that position. And it has the possibility of power. So we ought to be talking about power. Right. And the number and, and the power. So how much money is attached to power and political power? We don't talk about that. So A lot of money is attached to it. Go ahead, Robert Tia. <laughs> I was saying we don't we don't talk about the money, but we need to have and I, I think it was uh, was that Jeff Clay on the comments who talked about the financial literacy and, and you know that we are not we don't have the financial um, education all the times or that can that that talk with within the community or with our children. Um, we and that's where in this world that's where the power. A lot of the power is is the economic power, um, and we need to have the conversation, and we need to teach about that um, because that's that's what you know economically to know how much economic strength we have with all of us collectively would be just it it's massive because we do most of the buying. Mm-hmm. You know, we have power. We just are allocating it in a way that has not been always beneficial for us. I want to bring back the language that we're building a nation. We don't talk about that at all. That's right. That, that our work now is building a nation because if we don't start doing that, we are going to be. Uh, What's the word? Um, demolished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're redistricting. They're they're limiting your voice. They're, I mean, especially right now in Michigan. You know, after that whole election thing, now they had they draw the maps, and Detroit's all divided up and mixed in. So they're taking your, on purpose, they're taking your voice away. Right. Um, And I'll go ahead, uh, Attorney Matt. Oh, no, I'm sorry, J-Love. I didn't mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. You know, I I know you good people believe me, okay, but it's it's part of my professional paranoia as a lawyer (laughs) not to come back and give you my authority for what I'm saying, okay? So, but... I just want to read something to you, okay? okay? The first is from the Michigan Constitution of 1963. That's when 
y'all folks there got together and wrote the Constitution, rewrote it for 1963, okay? And I want to read you from Article 1, Section 9 of the Michigan Constitution of 1963, okay? Okay. It says, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude unless for the punishment of crime hmm. shall ever be tolerated in this state, okay? Hmm. Unless hmm. for punishment after conviction of crime. Now, I'm going to read you the granddaddy of all clauses like that. It's known as the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, all right? It says verbatim, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except, except is a powerful word, isn't it? Except is a powerful word, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Except, uh, as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Now, I cannot make that any plainer to anybody than that. Those are not my words. Those are the words of the people of the state of Michigan, and those are the words of the people of the United States of America. So if anybody tells you that slavery has been eliminated on a state or federal level, all you need to do is remember what Dr. Mack told you this evening and look at it for yourself. And mm -hmm. I just have to reiterate this point. If we can get people to understand, look at the prison system in terms of a colony. And, and you, you, you really got to be honest because that's really what the prison system is. It's like a, a colony. All right. And look at it and judge it as a colony. We will do so much more to make prisons humane. So much more. But the mojo that's been worked on us is we've differentiated incarceration from slavery. That's the disconnect right there, brothers and sisters. That's a disconnect. So if we viewed it properly as what it was, I'm telling you, Jay Love, we'd make, and, 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 and Dr. Gwen and Dr. Tia, we would make so much more pro pro progress with healthcare for people incarcerated, okay? With monetary wages for people that are incarcerated. I know this from personal experience, okay? with housing that for people incarcerated. And remember, one of the worst governors in the state of Michigan's history, a man by the name of John Angler said, mm -hmm. I would stack them like cordwood if I could. Now mm -hmm. think about that. It's bad enough to talk about chickens in a chicken coop. At mm -hmm. least they're alive. You, mm -hmm. you, you give them some semblance of existence, but a piece of wood is an inanimate, lifeless object mm -hmm. that can be burned, destroyed. That's what this man referenced 40 some thousand other human beings as. That's what keeps me up and keeps me going in this fight. And that 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 mantra still continues, okay, today. And it continues with our blessing because we don't stand up and do a damn thing about it when we've got the power to do so. Yeah. You know, I was uh, reading some things and preparing for uh, uh, this show and when I read that there is this movement to end federal prohibition on cannabis, and that we know that it is a legal business today, making massive money, mm -hmm. massive money makers. And then they put the statistic in that there are at least 
40,000 people still incarcerated for marijuana-related offenses. Why haven't they been free? And 4,000 in Michigan. What is that? I mean, to me, that's like clear indicator of slavery. <laughs> exactly. 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 And, 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 you know, along with all the people who should have been out and because of paperwork still are in, have done the time and are still incarcerated. Um, it is clear that, you know, that is a slavery system and we got to call it what it is. We have got to call it what it is. Um, and, and, then, and Oh, go ahead. And they need those bodies. They yeah. need those bodies there to keep the ship going, to keep the machine running. It's it's um it's a business. It is. It's on the stock exchange. When I learned the prisons were on the stock exchange, I was like, what? That's incredible. Go ahead, Reverend Tia. Yeah, because you know what? I, I tell my I used to tell my children we were the stock exchange. We started off the stock exchange. That's right. That's you know, right. so so, and then when you look at some of these banks, and, you know, I think uh, Attorney Mackett mentioned Morgan, Morgan, Stanley Morgan. You know that that was a slave ship. You know, so long money. If you they trace, if you trace any of the long monies, then you'll find out that they're all trenched in the slave trade. Banks you know. and insurance companies, yes. Accounting system. <laughs> yeah, and so when you have a system that, you know, depend on these bodies, and, and like you said, you have a billion-dollar marijuana business, but you still have people in prison for, with marijuana convictions, and that should be, you look at, um, I think his name was Michael Robinson, the, the, um, the, that was released. It took a, a strong push. It wasn't like, you know, the people here in Michigan thought that he deserved to to get out. No, it took a, a movement to get that man out of there. And so when you have these, um, what I want to say, when you have these um, systems of slavery, <laughs> they want to hold on to you tight because you're a part of the, their money train and, and, and it helps their industry. Do you know there was, um, um, I remember right uh, during the time when Gerard was first incarcerated, I think it was like a town in the upper Michigan and their prison was closing up, up there. And those people were outraged. They was upset, they was angry because that prison, um, Basically, the whole town ate off of that prison. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> the whole town ate off that prison. If that's you true. didn't work there, the people who worked there supported your business. They bought lunch for you. So losing that prison meant meant everybody was that whole town was you know gonna lose out, and they were fighting it. And it, I was just amazed that nobody was like looking at that like why are these people fighting to keep a prison open when we're talking about reform when we're talking about there's less there is less crime and attorney hugo matt talked about that there was less crime in michigan but we have more people incarcerated but crime was down 
So, and these people were fighting, refusing to want to let go of this prison mm-hmm. because they all worked there. <laughs> That's right. And Jay Love, you know, my life is an open book. You know, some people say it's too damn open. But what it is, is this, is that in Ionia, in Ionia, where I was at for a while, there like five prisons, Jay Love. Damn, five prisons. The city ain't that big. I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, and I'm just saying they were there and I, I I don't make castigating statements about people, but a lot of the guards were uh, Caucasian who had very, very little exposure to black people. Um, and it, there was a very tense situation, a very tense situation. OK. And, you know, with the with the divide amongst black people, amongst ourselves, that even made it worse because um a lot of the threat to a black male like myself really wasn't from the the white racists per se okay it really wasn't from them it was from other group of black men mm-hmm. whether that be a pseudo religious group that was really a gang you know or or you not wanting to be involved in some kind of criminality or whatever that is then you become vulnerable and so you know they know that the system knows that and they know as long as they can keep truth and sentencing in effect and not make meaningful change in terms of restoring good time or or even disciplinary credits they know they'll always have that pipeline there with people being forced to stay in that penitentiary and they'll always have a job and i'm gonna say this with all due respect to my brothers and sisters in the mission department of corrections this thing about these corrections officers risk their lives every day. I'm telling you right now, the truth of the matter is you have more of a chance of being hurt, getting up from your chair, J love and slipping on a banana peel than most of these people working in the penitentiary system have because the system is so structured. It, it, it's so structured that, uh, but you know, unfortunately people have been killed. I don't want to get sidetracked, but it's all a facade to keep people going in their jobs. And these people are getting good money from the state of Michigan. They're getting good retirement benefits from the state of Michigan. You understand? They're getting college education paid by the state of Michigan. A lot of people don't know that. They pay for your college education. So they got a good mojo, J-Love. Don't don't plan on the present population being drastically decreased anytime soon. They're not going to let that happen. Yes, the highest employer, um, the most, uh, I think the most people are employed in the state is employed through the Michigan Department of Corrections. And so when you have all this, everybody that's benefiting on it, and then you get a somebody saying, hey, I'm running on reform, and we're going to do reforms. And then we we hear those words that, you know, it sparks our, like, yes, finally, but we don't hold them to that word, and then there's no reform, and the machine keeps going. <laughs> so what we'll say is we're going to end slavery. <laughs> yeah, we're still enslaved. We ain't talking about no reform. We're ending slavery. Right. Right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're right, boy. You're right. We're going to have to hold her accountable for ending slavery. Well, I'll tell you what, after today, I ain't going to let nobody propose a pee on me no more. I'm going to tell you that right now. Gwen, you're my sister forever, girl. I love that. 
I'm so glad we're having this conversation like, because it's on record. And and we have uh, a lot of people that watch this afterwards, you know, after the live session, we get more uh, response then. But we have to have these conversations because it helps us look at, at, at ourselves. And we can what are you believing in? You know, are you believing that this is a correctional type of situation? Are you believing that this is slavery? Are you believing that it doesn't include you? Are you what are you believing in? And so it holds you accountable at looking at yourself because it's gonna take each one of us to look at ourselves to make change happen. It's not, you know, all of us gonna jump in together. It's gonna be, you know, okay, I get it, you know. And so we have to continue having these conversations because we've been beating. And, and beat down that we don't even show up. Like when said it's what you said when it's like almost four hundred thousand women in Detroit that's registered to vote. Can you that imagine? That are voting age. I'm not saying they're registered. Oh voting, voting age. age. Okay. Oh wow. They're at voting age, but we only have what seventeen percent of the people in the city to vote. So what are we doing? I'm feeling the power. I'm feeling the power for women right now. So uh, I don't know what we're going to do or how we're going to do it, but I know women are involved <laughs> from this day forward with that statistic alone. I claim it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so what we're doing is spreading a, a, a positive contagion of hope. Mm. Yeah. So, all right. Wow. Wow. Well, you guys, this has been an awesome conversation. Thank you, Gwen, for joining us today. Thank you for <laughs> <me>. <laughs> This was awesome and authentic. I love it. Um, next week, we're going to have on... Dion Riggins L. He's usually watching us all the time, but he's a wrongful conviction advocate. And so we're going to keep the community accountability conversation going with um, talking about advocating for the wrongful convictions, uh, the wrongfully convicted. And also, if you want to learn more about Gerard's story, you can go to www.change.org slash justice for Gerard please read and sign the, peti the petition and share it, share it. Because the more you share, the more we share our stories, the more we can heal and change. Um, Reverend Tia, was there anything that you want to leave us with before we go? Well, you know, I'm just so excited. I did write down, we are a positive, conta a positive contagion of hope. I'm going to hold that in my heart. And I'm knowing because we have a choice in this. We have a choice of how we want to allocate our power. And I'm just so glad that as we educate and be and allow ourselves to be educated, we can make decisions that benefit ourselves and our community. And thank you so much, J-Love. Thank you, Gwendolyn, for your work in the community. Um, that you do always automatically. And thank you, Attorney Mack, for being here. I'm telling you, this is powerful. I'm, re I'm invigorated every time we meet.
to go out and be all that God has called me to be. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reverend Tia. Attorney Matt, do you have well, anything I, you want? I want to say thank all of you. You know, you know, y'all got a special place in my heart, you know. And I heard Jay Love say one time that positive people attract positive people, you know. Uh I heard about Jay Love and I wouldn't have if she hadn't had the heart to fight for her son, we wouldn't be here right now. And and and, and Sister Gwendolyn, I, I, I don't believe I've met you before, but I feel like I've known you forever. And and when I plagiarize your statement, I'll think of you every time I say that. So, 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 so. I'm gonna take all the credit for that. So, so. It's still not a love, Gwen. It's still not a love. So, so, so. I want to thank you, Gwen. And, you know, I'm encouraged, Reverend Tia, you know, because it, it, it makes me closer to my own relationship with God and Jesus Christ. You know, and the scripture teaches me I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me and greater is he in me than he was in the world. So, you know, Jesus didn't have but about 12 people with him at that one time. And one of them was a traitor. So he still <laughs> did it. He still did it. So what I'm saying is we are mightier than we know, you know. Our power is only limited by our imagination and our faith. You know what I'm saying? It's only limited by that. So, you know, I love you all. I look forward to it. And and thank you, Jay Love. Thank you, Gwen. Thank you, uh, Reverend Tia. And uh, you all got a place in my heart. Thank you, Attorney Hugo Mack. And Gwen, we're going to let you have the last word. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so the Wisdom Institute... Um, we were formed a long time ago, always been grassroots. Like we got together in 1999 and um, we do a lot of ritual and ceremony and we care about healing justice. And we're looking for others who are, who care about healing justice. We have gracious, we offer gracious space. We offer revolutionary love and we call it revolutionary because folks don't expect black women to love one another and work together. So we are revolutionary. We're bodacious and we're audacious. And I appreciate so much the work that you're doing, Jay, um, and the work that you, uh, all of you are doing in our community for wholeness, for wholeness. Thank you. Thank you. We had a whole video we didn't watch. <laughs> yeah, I hope you watch it sometime. Yeah, I'm gonna have to post it on the uh, Justice yeah. for Gerard page, you guys. We have a video that we want you to watch. Is called uh, what's the name of it again, Gwen? My my vote will count. My vote don't count. My vote don't count. By yellow pain. Yeah, so yeah. I'm gonna post that on our page this evening. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you guys on YouTube, Twitter. Subscribe, you guys, to the YouTube page to the Justice for Gerard page, and we will see you again next week, next Friday, for turning a moment into a movement. Good night.